0: My primary role on staff is overseeing biblical counseling, as well as uh, the uh, single adult pastor. It's good to see you guys all there. Great wave. That's a lot of the group over there, which we have uh, a lot of fun. And as a number of us just got back from Romania, and we talked about that last week. But uh, it is exciting to see what God's doing. And it's exciting to see what God can do as we're working through the issues of life. And that's a lot of what we do with the discipleship of of biblical counseling. Have any of you ever played the game, Would You Rather? Anyone familiar with that game? The the game, and generally there's these little cards, and and the, the question is asked, Would you rather do this thing or that thing? And they're generally two less than desirable things. Would you rather you lose an arm or lose a foot or things like that? I'd like to play that game this morning here with you. Okay, would you rather, if I gave you the choice and I was able to, capable to do this, which I'm not, but if I offered you $50,000 right here, no strings attached, or we could take you, lock you up in a room for 30 days, Meet all of your basic needs, but have absolutely no entertainment, nothing outside other than just food and clothing and and the the basics to to live off of for 30 days. But I'll give you a million dollars. Would you rather take $50,000 right now? No strings attached. Or 30 days, $1 million. Again, I can't offer this to you. But if I could, which would you rather? And I know my wife's sitting there saying, that's easy. She would much rather I went for 30 days for a million (laughs) dollars. And so, we got it. That's okay, I probably would too. All right, you got it? You you thought through that a little bit? Now let me ask you, I'm going to poll the group here, okay? How many would take the $50,000 cash right now and walk out the door? Okay, a few of you. A few of you. Good, honest. How many would take the million dollars? All right. Now let me ask you the question, how did you base your decision? What was the criteria for the decision that you made? At the very heart, at the root of that, it really stems from the desire. Is it my immediate want, the immediate benefit? Weighing it against the long-term greater benefit, but yet with a little bit of sacrifice. And I could change. I actually expected more of you to say $50,000 because I think, honestly, I'm not sure a lot of us can go without entertainment for 30 days. But I was going to change it. What if I said I would give you $5,000 right now or if for 30 days gave you $50,000? Would you change your decision then? You know, probably as we adjust that, the criteria, the desires that we have are what helps us make these decisions. Romans 8, 28 and 29 say that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things and a lot of times as we talk through that, whatever we're going through, God wants to take whatever we're going through, all things, whether it is a trial, something, an outside force, an outside event, something that's happening to us on the external, or whether it's an internal consequence of a decision, maybe, consequence of a poor decision, maybe. But whatever it is we're going through, all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are believers, and those who are called according to his purpose, Those who are going after God's purpose in their life. We're going to look at that this morning as, as we look in this passage. Because we're going to talk about trials and we're going to talk about temptations and we're going to talk about blessings. But I, I say all that to say at the very heart of all of these three areas that we're going to look at in this passage in James. At the very heart of this all at the root of it are desires. And I want you to keep that in your mind because it all stems from our desires, ultimately. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to come forward and they will pass out. Just slip up your hand, we'll get you a Bible. And we're going to look at James chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 12. James chapter 1 Starting in verse 12, if you need a Bible, just slip up your hands, they'll get you one. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Point number one, here we see, is trials remain under and God will bless. When we're in trials, remain under, and God will bless. Uh, James here in verse 12 is really just summing up. He's, he's giving some concluding statements to the previous verses, 2 through 11, and, and I think it warrants looking back and getting the context here. And, and he starts this book, this letter that James wrote, In verse 2, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so he says, when you're going through trials, we should take joy in that because of what it's producing, what it's doing within us. When we see verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Literally what that's saying is, is that we are blessed when we remain under those trials. When we have stood the test of time, that there is reward for that. A trial is is something that breaks the pattern of, of peace, of comfort, of joy or happiness in our life. A trial is an outside force. And we're going to see that because the next, he's going to talk about the internal conflicts. But when we're talking about trial, we're talking about something that's happening that's out of your control many times. Something that's happening, it's thrust upon you. It's something that you, that you didn't necessarily bring upon yourself, but it's from the outside in. All of us are going through trials, aren't, aren't we? If you're not going through a trial, just wait there's tomorrow because you may be then trials are a part of life why well we see in these previous verses it's because that's what god uses to bring about growth to bring about steadfastness perseverance in our lives he grows us he molds us he shapes us through these trials but he also, we also see that there is blessing, there's reward in this when we remain under. And I say that because what is the typical response to trials? I want to avoid them. I want to bypass them. I want to just as far, get as far away from that as possible. I want to pretend it's not there. I want to just. What, what do we pray every day? And then we teach us. It seems like as little kids, it, it, it starts very young and say. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, uh, may, may, may everything go well. T- take away any problems. May there be no problems in my life. We may not say those exact words, but and many times that's really what we're praying for, and yet that's just the opposite of what we see here. Count it all joy when you encounter, when you encounter various trials. Because of what it does with us, and we have the future blessing. When we remain steadfast, what does it say? You receive the crown of life. Literally, literally we could interpret that the crown which is life. What is it talking about there? It's saying that when we as believers, we have an eternal destination set for us, that we have an eternity, and the reward, the crown, and and James is using, when they all knew when they talked about a crown, it was that wreath that was set upon the victor's head. It was signifying that they had won, they had persevered through whatever the competition, that they had outlasted everyone else, and the crown, and for us, what he's saying is that crown is the crown of life, of eternal life. We, we've looked at just uh, coming on the, on the heels of our uh, compelling king series. And we ended up in Revelation 21 and 22 and, and have seen what is in store for us. And really what James is saying here is that when we remain under, that there is blessing to come. There's blessing now Because of what is the character that it's producing in our lives. But even more, there is a destination. There is a blessing to come. It's back to that immediate reward or long-term reward. Which one are we pursuing? 23 years ago, I was a senior in high school. I had had a, uh, I was uh, an athlete, I played football and basketball and ran track and, and through those athletic endeavors, um, I was what you call uh, an undersized overachiever. <laughs> in the process of being an undersized overachiever, the body takes a beating. Um, I had several ankle injuries, but the first game of my senior year in football, I came down the line of scrimmage uh, as a quarterback and I got hit this way and uh, did a number on my ankle couldn't finish the game went uh, out of course i'm you know all iced up and everything else i don't even remember if we actually went to the emergency room i don't think we did let me tell you if you go to the emergency room they're going to tell you you got to sit out for two weeks right there they're going to cover themselves Okay, it was a sprained ankle. I mean, we knew what it was. And so we just started taping up. By Wednesday or Thursday, we had a big rivalry game the next game. And I, I, this, I had done a number on it, but we just taped it up there. And I literally hobbled around the whole next game. The coaches weren't going to play me, but I guilted them into, uh, you know, come on, it's my senior year and all that. And so started playing and just played the rest of the season. Had a pretty good year. Our team did and, and so forth. But, but had these nagging ankle problems I went on and 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 as I went well, at the time I got to college and and there's just a, no stability and and I finally went to doctors and took a look and they said yeah you've done a number on your ankle and the consensus was someday you're going to need to take care of this but as long as you can do what you can do just go ahead and do it and eventually it's going to catch up with you a little over three years ago or I guess a little under three years ago it caught up with me I uh, went to the doctors, and actually nobody around here would actually touch it. I had to go to Chicago. What had happened is 20 years ago, or 23 years ago, then uh, now uh, the bottom of my fibia had actually broken and was completely separated. I thought it had been ligament problems, but it was actually the bottom of the bone. And so for all these years, I I would like twist an ankle over a crack in the sidewalk sometimes, you know, if I wasn't taped up and and in braces. And and that's what I said. They wouldn't really mess with it here, and they they said it was a little too extensive. And so I went up to Chicago and had one of the top surgeons in the country come to find out who went in, and they laid me open about eight inches down the leg, around the foot, Opened everything up. They took out the bottom part of that bone. They took a tendon in my foot, went up, drilled through my ankle, down through, and screwed it into my heel, which I have still a screw in my heel. They they then took an arthroscopic surgery and cleaned up all the mess from all the years of doing all the stuff on it when I should have probably had it looked at. But now I can run again. As I say now, it's probably the strongest joint in my body at this point at 41. But uh, it's great. But I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I could walk on it. I just, I got to the point where I was, uh, what, what I was held, filling in as a coach for my girls soccer team. And I was warming up with them one day and that's all it took to, I couldn't run. And so, but there was a lot of. Debating, Is it worth it to go in for this pretty evasive surgery that I was laid up for quite a while afterwards or not? But we said, okay, I really, I would like to be able to run and exercise for the rest of my life. So, it was worth it. As I look back, if I had the choice to do again, when I go through, and I'm telling you what, it was painful. It was a week of, of very intense pain, and the recovery was slow but it was worth it and now I'm stronger for it What is it that's trials God says when we remain under when we actually stay under that trial and not trying to do everything We can to avoid it because what happens? Eventually and god will bring another trial into our life because he's trying to teach us. He's trying to grow us He's trying to make us stronger now let me ask you the question. What trials are you facing in your life? What trials are you facing in your life? Can you think of it? Some of you don't even have to think twice on. Now let me ask you the question. Are you remaining under those trials? Are you allowing God to grow you through that trial or are you trying to avoid that trial when we remain under God blesses God makes us into what he wants us to be and we know that there is also eternal reward to come the discipleship journal publication a few years ago ran a survey of readers and it ranked Areas of the greatest spiritual challenge. It surveyed the readers and the response from the readers were, what were the areas of greatest spiritual challenge? Here you go. There was the top nine responses here in order. Number one, they said the first area was materialism. Number two was pride. Number three was self-centeredness. Four was laziness. There was a tie for fifth place between anger, bitterness, anger that that would lead to bitterness, and uh, uh, sexual lust. That was tied for fifth. The seventh one was envy. Eight was gluttony. Interesting, huh? And nine was lying. That's what the reader said. These are the areas that we have the most struggle in. That's what James here moves to in in our next point is temptations. Don't be fooled. It's all you. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So you see, James then transitions. First we saw the trials, but now he's moving into temptations. Where do temptations come from? Well, the Holy Spirit here... Working through James, the writer says that the temptations come from within. They come from us. They come from internal, our internal desires. While trials are external, temptations, on the other hand, are internal. They're internal enticements to sin. You see, all of this, I said at the root of all of these things, you're going to see are the desires that we have. And, and what we find is many times the desires we have aren't necessarily wrong. We have a desire to be loved. Is that a bad desire? No, it's a God-given desire. But when we go after the wrong things to meet those desires, that's when we have problems. It's a desire that ultimately only God can fill. It's the God-sized hole that we have that only God can fill in our lives. God's created desires in their simplest form. And it's interesting because it makes it very clear that, first of all, God is not tempted. Sin is, is literally anything that's contrary to the character of God. And therefore, if it is contrary to God and sin it's not tempting to God he's not tempted to sin and because of that it says in very unequivocally the fact that God does not tempt us to sin we do a pretty good job of that ourselves we are where the temptation comes so many times we, we are so quick to play the blame game aren't we We're so quick to deflect and defer, and and I guess we come by it honest. The the first account we see of that is the first account that we see of sin in Genesis chapter 3. And and remember back the story of Adam and Eve, and once they had sinned, we see the four things not to do when we sin. The four things not to do from when we sin from Adam and Eve, the first thing that they did is they covered they realized they sinned. They realized they were naked and they covered themselves. Now, they'd been in the garden alone, just the two of them and God and he'd created them. And what were they covering for? It was a natural response to sin. Secondly, they hid when they heard God in the garden. What they do? They ran to the bushes and they're hiding in the bushes. Then they made excuses. They said, well, uh, we were afraid. Uh, it's not my fault. Uh, uh, Satan. Uh, they made excuses. And then fourthly. They blame shifted. It was the serpent. Or even worse, the statement that Adam made. It was the woman you gave me, God. That's why I sinned. And they blame shifted. Four things. How we should not handle sin. But when, we're, when this is taking place, there is a desire and, and you see the words that are used here it says uh, while God can't tempt us verse 14 let each person when he's is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires lure is, is, gives the idea of being uh, dragged away from some place hidden it's a, a hunting a fishing term and, and, and enticed is, is literally to, to entice to, to, to offer up bait when, when someone lured and enticed were drug away were baited By outside things, no. We're baited, enticed by our own desire. It's our own desire. Man takes some time, something that many times is again not at the very heart. Generally, is not a bad desire, but then we it gets distorted. We go looking for the solution to that desire. In something that God does not want for us because it's not in our best interest. We see there's a progression here uh, that that goes through. It's, um, and the desire, when it conceives and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So you have the desire. You have the conception, where the, the mulling over of that to the, to the point that it then gives birth to sin. Desire moving to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, when it's come to completion, when, when, when it's, when it's made completely full is really the idea with that, then it leads to death. The ultimate conclusion of all sin is death. Spiritual death. It was physical death. It, it, uh, all of that. It is, it is it, it, spiritual death. That's why we need a savior. Because our sin takes us to death. And you see the progression that's going on there. But I think it's also interesting the fact that, that who, who is it that struggles with, with temptation? Look at, look at verse 14. But each person is tempted. Who's tempted? Oh, we can do better than that. Who's tempted? Each person. One more time. Who's tempted? Each person. None of us are exempt from temptation. I think it's it's so often the the misnomer that, that we think that that you know eventually I'm not going to be tempted, but no. Each person when he is tempted. Each of us have struggles, each of us have desires, and each of us have that temptation and that natural desire to try to start filling those needs or desires that we have with other things. When does it become sin? Well, when we fixate on, when we come to that point where we, I have to have it, and then it moves into sin. And then we see the acting out of that desire. Now, I think it's, it's worth noting that there are some misunderstandings about temptation. Here you go. I'll give you six of them. Six misunderstandings of, of temptation. Number one. One misunderstanding that temptation itself is sin. Temptation itself is sin. That's not true. Each, uh, each person is tempted, but it's when it conceives and gives birth to sin. The temptation itself is not sin. Number two, that we fall into temptation. See, many times we think of temptations like we think of trials. This outside, but we just can't help it that... And what we're seeing from this passage is, on the contrary, while sometimes things happen suddenly, it's the internal desires that we have. Case in point. I can drive home, and I'm heading up Peoria, and let's just say, for instance, that I saw off to the right in one of the rougher neighborhoods of there a drug deal going down. And there was a little bit of drugs there. I can honestly say there's no draw in that for me. It's not an area that I am currently tempted in. Now, there are other things that would be a major draw we don't fall into temptation number 3 that god is disappointed and displeased when we are tempted the third misunderstanding is that god is disappointed or god is displeased when we're tempted on the contrary when we are battling temptation god is very pleased when we're battling temptation when we give in to temptation god is disappointed number 4 To be strongly tempted means that we are as guilty as if we actually committed the sin. Those areas in our lives that are the, the strongest of temptations. It's not true. That we overcome, number five, all temptation by separating from it. Now I want to be very careful because putting in healthy fence lines, when we're tempted with the flesh, if we can flee, absolutely do that. But we also understand... Not all temptations are avoidable, right? Some things we can't, may not be able to separate from at this time. Number six, when I'm spiritually mature, I will no longer be harassed by temptation. That is untrue, absolutely unequivocally. When I'm spiritually mature, then I'll no longer have temptation not true you know there's a strong warning look at verse 16 as we see that progression there's that strong warning it says do not be deceived my beloved brothers brothers and sisters in Christ don't be fooled by temptation don't be tricked don't be tricked into thinking that God's bringing the temptation because he can't tempt you and don't be fooled by what's taking place John Piper said this Sin or lust gets its power from persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. That's what James is saying. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked into thinking if I settle for this temptation that it's fully, it's ultimately going to meet that desire. While there may be some Quick, immediate fulfillment, it doesn't bring long-term fulfillment. The happiness that we seek is not down that path. The key to all this is understanding. If we change our thinking, we can change our desires. We change our behavior. And then our feelings will change. See, so often we're very quick to go to the sin, go to the behavior, and that's important to do, but we also need to go back one step further and go to the desire. It's not just enough to change or or to put up safeguards on a sin, but actually work to change the desires. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart literally it's saying god will give us the desires that we should have the desires that he has for us and so how do we do that how do we change our desires here you go five action steps for changing my desires five action steps for changing my desires number one these are very simple very practical nothing earth shattering here number one change the things i read change the things i read on the internet, books, magazines. What am I filling my mind with? Change the things that I read. Number two, change the things that I watch. The TVs, the movies. I'll tell you one of the biggest ones, especially, remember the number one spiritual uh, struggle that people have there, materialism? The advertisements that we watch? The you've got to have, and if you have this, your life will be advertisements. Change the things that we watch. Change the things that we listen to. The music. Music can have a powerful effect on us. It can be wonderfully praise and worship. It can be leading us in, in, in a myriad of paths. Number four, be thankful. Right, See how blessed we are. Recognize how much we have. Tell others about what God is doing in our lives. Being thankful. Number five. Change the people and the places that I go. The people that I hang with and the places that I go. Maybe some of the temptations we have, some of the desires are because of the influences of, of people. And we may need to adjust who we're spending large quantities of time with. Or maybe it revolves around the places that we go. If I'm really tempted to spend more than I should on a car I don't need, it may not be a bad idea not to be cruising the car lots. Right? It may not be a bad idea not to just continue to look at and to gaze upon, boy, wouldn't it be nice if... Change the people and the places where we go. C.S. Lewis said this, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by offered by by and by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased like a like a child who's making mud pies in the slum because we can't imagine How great it would be if we had a holiday at the sea or if C.S. Lewis was alive today and in America, he'd say, or a week at Disney World. And so we're content to just make these mud pies in the backyard when Disney World is at our disposal. Let me ask you, what are your desires? What temptations are you struggling with right now? Oh, Pastor Steve, I'm not, I'm not struggling with temptations. Yes, in each person when they're tempted. If you're not right now, you will be. Which of these action steps do I need to start employing to fight this temptation? What's the desire? We continue on point number three. Blessings. Thank God and show him off. Thank God and show him off. Look at verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's what every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every gift, good, right, fulfilling. It's, it's talking about the fact that God is unchanging. He doesn't change. He, he, he's not going through life and all of a sudden he changes his mind or he changes his character but it's, it's it's continual did you catch it every gift every good gift comes from God which ones every every good gift every good and perfect gift this is coming down from the Father of Lights. The, the idea in the Greek of that coming down, it's, it's a continual process. It's, it's kind of the idea of a waterfall. Just, it just continues to flow. It has continuing action with it. You know, God gives us the things that stand up to light. This is the Father of Lights. He gives us joy. He gives us things that are good for us. He gives us things that do not bring us shame, that build us up, that make us secure, that give it love peace contentment the things that show Jesus off the things that bring God the glory he wills for us it says to know the word of truth his, his plan and purpose for our lives what, what does it come from the word of truth what, what does this do this changes our thinking it tells us how we are to behave Based on right thinking, right behavior. To bring about ultimately the right feelings. To bring about blessing in our life. What's the end goal here? And you see that in verse 18. The end goal is that we should be a kind of first fruits of creation. What's it talking about the first fruits? Well, the first fruits here is an Old Testament word here. The first fruits were the the first of the crops. It was the best. It was the, the first tenth that they would take, the, the very best. It was the lamb without spot. It, it was the best of the produce. It was the best of the best, the most excellent things that they would then bring in to the storehouse. They would bring in to the temple, the tabernacle, the first fruits. And what's he saying? The the idea, the metaphor here that James is using is that we, as believers, would know the blessings of God, to thank Him, and that we would actually be the examples for all of creation. That we literally could show God off by how we handle trials, by how we handle temptations, by understanding every blessing that God gives us and every blessing that God wants to shower upon us and we could show Him off that we would be the first fruits, the best of the best. Of all of creation. And so when people would see us. They would see Jesus Christ. And they would say. Wow. Look at the difference. That Jesus has made. In our life. Look at what God can do. But so many times we're sitting there. Playing in the mud. Settling for. Such a cheap. Substitute. Robbing ourselves of every good and perfect gift. we're settling for the trivial amount when he's got a fortune in store for us. You know, Proverbs 10:22 uh, says, uh, "The blessings of the Lord make rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. When God gives a gift, there's no guilt attached. There's nothing to regret. You can take it with joy. There's a old Chinese proverb of a a farmer. Didn't have much, worked hard, very um, just a man of character, very wise farmer. One day after he had been plowing in the field, he went in and he put up his only horse that he used for plowing. And that night, somewhere in the night, something got opened up and the horse ran off. The farmer lost his only animal, his only horse that he used every day for plowing. And all of the townsfolks came in and they lamented with him and they said, what terrible luck. And the farmer said this, good luck, bad luck, we'll see. Well, after a couple of days... The horse actually reappeared. And when the horse came back, along with the horse was this whole herd of wild horses that it brought back. And they came in and they locked up the corral and they had now this whole herd of horses. And all the townspeople came out and they said, what great luck. And the farmer said, good luck, bad luck. We'll see. Well, over the next week, the farmer's only son was out working with these new unbroken horses and and teaching them putting saddles on so they'd be able to ride and to use them. And he was on one of those young horses when all of a sudden he was thrown from his horse and fell and broke his leg. And all of the townspeople came out and they said, oh, what terrible luck. And the farmer said, Good luck, bad luck, we'll see. Well, a few days later, representatives from the army show up into town and they're going around conscripting, drafting people into the army, pulling out all of the young men to fight this bloody war that the country was in. And they came to the farmer's house and they saw the farmer's son and the broken leg and the fact that he couldn't walk. And so he was left behind and didn't have to go in the draft and fight in that bloody war. And all the townspeople said, what great luck. And the farmer said, good luck, bad luck. We'll see. What's the point? We're the townspeople, aren't we? Everything that happens in life, we're up, we're down with trials, with temptations. With not realizing the blessings. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's... And what we lose sight of the fact is that God has every good and perfect gift. He has our very best in mind. And He's waiting to shower it upon us. Does that mean it's always going to be easy? Does that mean there's never going to be trouble? No, on the contrary, He will use that to grow us. What is it that we're desiring now? Are we desiring the immediate happiness or are we desiring God's very best? Believing that it's worth it. And so I ask you, how has God blessed you? How's God blessed you? Are you pursuing God's blessing in your life. If so, thank Him and show Him off. Bring Him glory. Be the first fruit of creation, the example, and so that we can say, glory be to God. Let me tell you about this great God That I serve. Thank him for those blessings. Go hard after those blessings. Give him the glory. For every good and perfect gift.